I forgot what I was going to say. Okay. This episode is, in fact, about memory. If you were listening to last week's episode, I decided, based on some things that went on in that episode... What? Wait, what? And among other things, I also decided that this season was going to include an element of interplay with technology. So I set up some grooves, some loops that run throughout the entire show, except that I have the ability to mute and unmute them at any given time because I have this little mixing board to my right. And that would add to the intrigue or something. But in any case, all of that is my muting and unmuting and my use of delay are all automated, so they're part of the performance. But as I said, the focus of this episode is thematic memory. One of the things that we do as musicians and you do as listeners is remember what we just played or you just heard. And of course, for the musician, the hearing, the remembering means you have to listen to what you're playing. And sometimes musicians don't do this and they just play random stuff. And that's not okay. But there's a lot that goes into this memory aspect of playing. When I say a lot, I mean there's several layers of memory going on in the music making and listening process. One of those, the most imminent or immanent, not sure if that's a different word, it is with an A in there somewhere, most present is what you just heard, what you heard at the beginning of a song or a composition and how you remember that. And that's the most obvious and most present element of musical memory. In order for a musical composition, a song, 
improvisation or whatever to work, one has to be able to remember the themes. Otherwise, it's just random moment to moment. Now, I have spoken probably in previous episodes, told this story of when I was in music school at Indiana University, trying to be a composition major. I was actually a jazz major trying to get into the composition department. But anyway, they have these regular visiting symposium lectures or whatever they're called. And all the composition majors or would-be composition majors were required to attend. And they had this one composer, and I don't remember his name at all. I know he was from somewhere in Latin America. But in any case, he, he spoke to all of us and played some of his music. And what he spoke about was his desire to write music where no moment connected to the previous moment. And it's almost hard to describe because the proposition is so absurd. And he talked about how he wanted to create this kind of music where it just kept evolving with no relation to the past and no repetition, most importantly of anything that went on. And of course, I'm what, 19 or 20 years old. And I have a pretty big mouth, sizable ego. His idea was this. He went further to say, there is no repetition, true repetition in nature. One day goes to the next and it's never the same moment. True enough, I even knew that then, but I raised my hand and said, well, but there is repetition. The sun always rises every morning and so on. You know, there's these cycles of nature and the head of the composition, or actually the head of the music department, cut me off. He was very angry that I would question this composer. And then the composer said, well, the sun doesn't actually rise. It's just, okay, fine. We know the sun is not actually rising. It's our, how we're uh, rotating on our axis and so forth. My, the, the point was I got in trouble for, uh, that wasn't the point. The point was that the idea that there is no repetition in nature. Of course there is.
Well, now, what was interesting there was at a certain point, you probably noticed I muted the percussion, the loops. And the reason I did it ostensibly was because I wanted to not worry about the groove. I wanted to play more free time. But the memory, and this is another layer of musical memory, the memory of the groove stuck with me, so I found it hard to get out of it. I had to forcibly remove myself from the groove, and I really didn't do it. It was just there. Now, by the way, these loops, I just kind of randomly took a bunch in a certain style, not even, just I was avoiding like a standard bass drum, snare drum type of thing with the, you know, which seemed kind of corny, and I didn't want to do that. I tried it, actually. I did another take with more standard rock, funk, grooves, whatever they were, and it it didn't feel right. These are loops from various collections I have, and the one thing they have in the in common is loops work in this way nowadays that they adapt to the tempo of your song or project. So everything today is at 93 beats per minute, just to keep it consistent. Anyway, so I was talking about memory and the idea that a musical element stays with you even as you go beyond it. And this is true, I think, from both the listener's and the performer's point of view. Perhaps you still heard somewhere in your memory the groove that was going on, the loops, even if it wasn't this perfect memory of the exact thing that was going on, it kind of stays with you. So that's why I had a hard time getting out of that. It was there and I couldn't leave it. But there's another kind of memory I was thinking about this morning as I woke up, and that's cultural memory, the longer form memory. At the beginning, I talked about the immediate memory of a theme that has been stated, which I did at the beginning of the episode, like I always do. Which in itself, I'm sure that's not what I did. As I said in last week's episode, the whole thing is imperfect. My imperfect memory of my themes or what I played before and that sort of drives the creative process in some ways. But this, then there's this longer-term memory, the cultural memory, the sort of collective unconsciousness of songs and themes that you remember from your childhood or that go back several decades or several hundred years, songs that we all maybe grew up with that our mothers sang to us, or in some cases, our fathers. In my case, when I sang to my kids, I would be reading the books and I'd come up with my own tunes, which was kind of fascinating because I still remember all of them. I don't know if they do. So you have a song like Frere Jaca or Are You Sleeping? And Probably most kids in the world know that tune. It's come down through the ages. I don't know its origins. I, I'm pretty sure it's French. But a lot of these kinds of collective memories, musical memories, have gone through many iterations, through many cultures over the centuries. Something 
like Amazing Grace, nobody knows the exact origin of the tune. It probably goes back several centuries. And it's probably been changed like a kind of global game of musical telephone over the centuries, going through different cultures. How it's interpreted, maybe elements of the melody, the theme change, but the primary thing stays. For this week's mid-roll break, I'd like to introduce voicemails. No, I don't want you to call me and leave a message. Rather, the new podcast platform I'm using this year, First Story, has this neat feature that allows listeners to leave a message, questions, comments, whatever, that can be integrated into future shows. So if you feel so inclined, click on the voicemail link in the show notes below or from my webpage for this episode. Let me know if it's okay to include your message in a future show, and don't forget to donate on my coffee page. Also linked below in the show notes. Back to the show. So the point is, I thought I said I wasn't going to use that kind of standard kick snare, but I did. Like I said, I just threw a bunch of loops against the canvas, i.e. the grid of a modern digital audio workstation, and... I didn't actually listen to them all very closely. That's kind of the fun of the improvisational element here, that I don't know what's coming. Getting back to my point about this sort of long-term memory, the cultural memory, the collective unconsciousness, that too is imperfect. So the global game of musical telephone changes the tunes, the themes as they come down through the ages, kind of a long-term version of what I'm experiencing right now, trying to remember my own improvised theme. But these two elements, this short-term immediate memory of whatever song or composition you're listening to, and the longer-term cultural memory work together. Because when you're listening to a piece of music... You're not only listening to that piece of music, you're listening with your entire history, your cultural memory. And these two work together, the immediate and the long term, in the sense that as soon as you hear something new, you are going to consciously or subconsciously associate it with something you've heard in the past. Sometimes it's a direct association, as in, God, this sounds a lot like Hey Jude. And if it's too close and it's a published recorded piece of music, that's when you get into copyright infringement issues. But in most cases, it's just a light association. This reminds me of something. What? And that goes on with the performer, with me as well, because I'm inevitably drawing on not only my own musical past, but all the people who influenced me. So when I do this... I do start to think of certain pieces of music it may remind me of. And in most cases, I can't think of the direct association unless I sit and ponder on it. In this case, I'm thinking of two things. And they're not even very close. There's a John Coltrane tune called, uh, I think it's called Central Park West. 
Oh, that's okay. That's not it. There's a, you see, this is gets where it gets really weird. So there's this Coltrane tune called Central Park West, and then there's this Beethoven string quartet in F minor, I believe. It's, it's, I think it's called the Serioso, something like that. And then there's a Coltrane tune that has a similar thing. And I think when I first heard the, I probably knew the Coltrane tune before, it starts the same way or does it? See, this is where it gets interesting. I am now conflating the Coltrane tune and the Beethoven string quartet. Clearly, Beethoven did not do that. So, <laughs> I, I, it's funny, I, un, I know how the Beethoven quartet begins, and I know the second phrase of the Coltrane song, and I'm putting them together. So this is what I'm talking about, this creative misremembering of things. And, and in doing that, again, I've forgotten my own theme. This is uh, unfortunate, but it's, it's what happens in this process. So all these things come into play, including the...
And so the loops have run out. I stopped at approximately 27 minutes and 30 seconds. And interestingly enough, I started out this episode that low B is still holding. I started out this episode by saying I forgot what I was going to say, and in the end, I forgot what I played. What happened was the Beethoven and the Coltrane intervened and made me misremember my theme. But that's okay. Or is it? Or is it? Or is it? Or is it? As I was editing this episode, I was wondering where my themes come from. There must be something that forces a theme into existence at any given moment. Is it a kind of memory, or are we describing a particular moment in time with mere notes? Stay tuned as I take a deep dive into the provenance of musical themes in the next episode of Improvisations on the Ledge. See you then. Well, they taught you how to twill in a multifractured world and make it seem less like hell. In just for a minute, you're gonna earn a little street cred. Act shaded like the black man at the barber school where he said that life sucks and that you're dead and you knowingly shook your head. Turn to music theory class and practice being a pinhead Just for a minute, you're gonna come alive Not be so damn contrived, drop all the schoolboy jive Just for a minute, you're gonna lose control And let the whole world know you got some real soul Just for a minute Just for a minute, you're gonna dance like a fool, snap fingers on the backbeat, just like back in high school to earth, wind, and fire. But then you went and you grew, learned it was more practical to just pretend to be cool. Just for